You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney Podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show. I am joined by the stars of the show, Godfather Mike Farrell out on the East Coast and National Recruiting Analyst Adam Gorney. He's with me in Southern California. Um, guys, we got plenty to talk about. We're coming off of National Signing Day, and there was no lack of drama like we, we thought there might be having the early signing period um, take away a lot of the luster, so to speak, but there was plenty of drama there we can talk about. And then, uh, you know, right after signing day, we didn't waste any time. We got it right into the 29th, focusing on the 2019 kids. Uh, I know, Gorney, you were out in the in God's country in Riverside, California. <laughs> I was I was out in Miami for the first stop in the Rivals Camp Series presented by Adidas. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're jumping right into the 2019 class. But first, let's take a little bit of time and, and talk about signing day, um, what you guys thought. And, and, Mike, I'll start with you. Why don't we start with, with the winners? Who who really won signing day this year? I think Georgia won the early signing period. I think Georgia won the late signing period. I mean, USC obviously had a great finish, um, and there are other programs that did very well. Uh, you know, Ohio State uh, finished well, I thought, um, obviously getting Nick Petit-Frere. Um, Alabama didn't finish as well. We're going to talk about them, obviously. Clemson finished well. Uh, I think, you know, Everybody's talking about Kirby Smart being the best recruiter in football. Let's slow down a little bit on that, um, you know, especially since Nick Saban's won, what, eight of the ten previous recruiting titles, and, and Urban Meyer, to me, is the best recruiter in, in college football. But Smart did a great job. Georgia got everybody they wanted. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to see a year like this from Georgia because I've never seen one in all the years I've been covering it. So is this is this like – the year everything came together perfectly for Georgia, or, or are they the new Alabama? I don't think they're the new Alabama, but uh, I think 2019 could be just as good. Um, they already have a good start to the class. They have a five-star committed in Jaden Hazelwood, or however you pronounce his name, and then uh, they're going to have more five-stars in the state. And then what I think is really interesting for Georgia is they're, they're going to have a lot of five-stars right around uh, their region. You know, I think North Carolina... Virginia, West Virginia, uh, all of those states are going to produce probably numerous five stars this year. So they're going to have an opportunity uh, to really ramp up into 2019 as well. So, uh, yes, Nick Saban is still and Urban Meyer, are two, the two best recruiters in college football in Georgia, is the flavor of the day. Um, Georgia needs to continue to win and play for college football playoffs to continue to recruit so well. And uh, like Dan Mullen said, they might be a blind squirrel that found a nut. Um, but I don't think so. I think they're the future of the SEC East right now. Um, I think Dan Mullen's a phenomenal coach and the perfect fit for Florida, but if Georgia continues to recruit like this, it's the Jimmys and Joes and not the X's and O's, Mike, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Now look at the top 10 and tell me which team is not going to be in the top 10 next year. We're probably going to do this later on in the week for our rivals view because everybody loves our rivals view. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, Texas is coming off of a, not a great season. I don't think that they're going to be in the top 10 next year uh, on the field. Um, USC is going to have a new quarterback. I don't think Florida State is all that great. 
Um, we'll see. Um, those are the three that stand out to me immediately. Um, well, you know USC is going to be in the top ten in recruiting, though. I mean, it's it's almost impossible for them. To oh, recruit. I thought you meant top ten on the field off, off of this. No, class. no, no, no. I'm talking like let's fast forward to you know the second week of February and look at the team rankings for next year. Which of these ten teams is not going to be in the top oh, ten? Oh yeah, I've got mine. I've got mine. Um, that's a Who's hard one be? to look at. Yeah, well, that's tough. I mean, here are the candidates: I'll go, Georgia, I'll go Ohio with Penn State. State. Okay, so Georgia, Ohio State, USC, Texas, Penn State, Miami, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Florida State. A lot of good candidates in there to drop out. Um, Penn State is one of the obvious choices, I think. You know, because they're in the middle of the state, they have to go elsewhere um, and, and recruit. You know, uh, on the road. A little bit more, obviously, than USC does, than Georgia does, than Ohio State does, than Texas does. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami. Mm -hmm. I don't think I think Miami's recruiting at a high level, but I think now that you've got Taggart in there, now that you got Mullen in there, now that you've got more and more schools are going to say, "Hey, you know, we can't let Miami just get every kid in Southern South Florida. We got to we got to go in there and and continue to you know pull the the." Patrick Sertains of the world out of there. I think you're going to see a, a, an additional focus on programs in South Florida to try to pull kids away there. So, But it's tough. You could pick any of these. I think these are all candidates. We know Georgia's going to be in the top 10. We know Ohio State's going to be in the top 10. We know USC's going to be in the top 10. We assume Texas, although they're not off to the fastest start in 2019, and Texas A&M is going to be a problem for them. Yep. Penn State and Miami are two teams that are definitely – uh, could possibly be out of the top ten. Alabama is going to be in the top ten. Clemson will be in the top ten, and then you got Oklahoma and Florida State. I think Florida State will probably be in there. Oklahoma is also another one with with A and M. They might cause some problems for them. So yeah, and, and I think Tom Herman will be just fine. And I I think we talked about this already that I believe six of the top twenty kids in Texas are committed, and three are to Oklahoma, three are to A and M. So Texas has some ground to make up there. Um, but it's still so very early, and, and they'll recruit really well, especially if they have a good season. They lost so many close games this past year, had a bad record, but a lot of close losses. If they can turn that around and win some of those games, uh, I think recruiting takes off. It's interesting you say Miami, though, because all I read from the Miami RCS uh, camp this past weekend is that all the kids were wearing Miami stuff, talking Miami, not talking Florida, Florida State. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that means anything. It's certainly not scientific. Uh, but I think Miami has caught on a little bit, um, and if they continue to play so well, I think that they should be just fine and probably be in the top ten next year. Yeah, they've got a lot of buzz. I'm just saying that this was like sort of a perfect storm if year. You, will. you know, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things where McIlwain was not a good recruiter, didn't care that much about recruiting, uh, you know, and then you've got. Um, Jimbo was obviously mailing it in. Yeah. I mean, just obviously mailing it in. Uh, didn't really recruit from August on. So you take those two programs, which are perennially top 10 programs, and Florida State did finish 10, but they're usually a top five. Uh, and then you put them in there. Can Miami, Florida, and Florida State all finish in the top 10? Now, where is your program at? Miami's in better shape than Florida State right now. Uh, Miami's in better shape than Florida right now, for sure. But I don't know. I just I think there's going to be a revamped effort. Um, I know that a lot of schools do not want to see 
Miami dominate yeah. South Florida. If you if you had to take Miami, Florida, do, and Florida State's coaches, how would you rank them as recruiters? Uh, Miami, Florida, Florida State's I would probably go as recruiters. I would go Taggart. Then I would go Richt. Then I would go Mullen. Yeah. And as coaches, I would probably go Mullen. Uh, then Rick, then Taggart. Yeah, it's interesting that as recruiters, Taggart's, I think, clearly number one. And from where Florida State was, they were really, really bad in bad shape when he got that job. And he made them 10th in the country, so that's pretty good. It's just a question of if he can win football games. You know, I mean, he does have a losing record as a head coach. Uh, he has turned around some programs pretty quickly. Um, but it's not exactly like he's blown the doors off at the schools he's been at either. So... As a recruiter, Taggart, I think definitely number one. Uh, Rick is kind of that stable guy who can recruit well and coach pretty well, and we saw that this year. And then Mullen, I think with with a lot of cards in his hand, I think will be a very, very good coach. He did a, a, as good of a job as you can do at Mississippi State. And so um, that's not guaranteed that that happens at Florida. I mean, let's look at Harbaugh. Uh, he hasn't done really all that well at Michigan yet. and uh, But I do think Mullen is in the perfect spot for what he wants to do. And, and I think kids will flock to him once he's, once they see the offense. And we know the defense should probably play, still play pretty well. Yeah, Miami's got 10 commitments already for 2019, but only <laughs> one of them is a four-star right now. Yeah. That's that's very Al Golden-like. Um, you know, get off to a hot start, but not with the greatest players. Now, some of those guys will end up being ranked as four-stars, I'm sure, as we go through the spring evaluation and into the summer evaluation. Florida has three, not a four-star among them. And then Florida State's start for 2019 is, is very, very good with, you know, four commitments, but three of those guys uh, as four stars. So um, I don't know. One of them is going to be a, a huge disappointment. And I think, you know, the disappointment this year is Florida. Um, we'll see. What, you know, what, I, I don't think they closed yeah, what's, as what, well as they wanted to. What's so what's, what's so that? great about Alabama, We Mike, we lost you there for a second, but what's so great about Alabama is they're on such a high level that they finished with five-star Patrick Sertain, who everybody thought was going to LSU for until about two weeks before signing day. And they go into Texas and get a five-star out of Houston, basically Texas A&M's backyard. And we're like, eh, not a great finish for those guys. Yeah, no, and again, I don't, I don't think they closed well um, for them. Yeah. You know, seventh, seventh is not acceptable. I mean, I know they had less than 20 commitments, and we, we ranked 20, so they were at a disadvantage uh, with one less, but USC only had 18 and they finished third. Um, the star ranking is good, 3.89, but you know, two five stars to me, three total for Alabama, especially after what they did in 2017, right. which was ridiculous. And what Georgia um, did. I think we're basing this off of what Georgia did as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to, I mean, Kirby Smart out recruited Nick Saban on numerous levels. Yeah. Numerous levels. I mean, a lot of head to head battles. They flipped kids. Um, you know, they ended up winning head to head battles and this is over the last two years, but especially this year, um, you know, Alabama wanted Tyson Campbell. They wanted Jamari Sawyer. They wanted Brenton Cox. You know, they were finalists for, for Cox. Uh, they wanted Adam Anderson, obviously they wanted Justin Fields. So on and on it goes, they lost all those battles. And it could uh, have been way Walker better for flipped. Georgia. I mean, we had discussed Luke Ford as a possible five-star tight end. Otis Reese was a 6.0. Quay Walker was a 6.0. I mean, and they could have had, if everything fell their way, I mean, everything did fall their way, but if everything really fell their way, we're talking maybe 11 five-stars in this class. 
Yeah, that'd be pretty ridiculous. I mean, Quay Walker was discussed. Uh, Otis Reese too small, um, but Luke Ford to me was never he was never a five star. No, but that, that's that's just me. You know, I mean, there were some guys that liked him a lot, but I didn't see it. Now he'll end up playing like a five star. But I'm trying to think of the last Georgia tight end that played like a five star. Because yeah. remember, they used to get great tight ends all the time. Well, I mean, they used Isaac to throw to them too, and now they don't. Yeah. Isaac Nott has not played like a five-star yet, and there was a while there, like Aaron White and some guys like that, that they used to get the top tight ends in the country every year. Um, Artie Fontaine's, guys like that, way back in the day, but now uh, they just haven't been known to, to produce them. They're more blockers, you know, in that power scheme of theirs than they are pass catchers. But, th- but this is how good Kirby is as a recruiter, too, and I think we've talked about this or at least addressed it. Uh Luke Ford is is not an idiot, and he sees that Georgia does not throw to their tight ends much, and Isaac Nata was a five-star and doesn't really get thrown too much, and when he does, it's almost a surprise, and he doesn't know what to do with his hands. And Luke Ford from the Midwest, who could go to a plenty of Big Ten schools that throw the ball to tight ends a lot, uh, decides to go to Georgia. That's a tremendous recruiting job by Kirby and his team. Yeah, but he's still the fourth-best recruiter in college football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just, you know... Obviously, Saban and, and Urban Meyer are, are my top two. I've got Meyer one and then Saban two. And, and Dabo Swinney is number three for me. I, I don't care, you know, that Kirby had a great year. Dabo Swinney, what he's doing at Clemson is just ridiculous. Um, you know, that class itself, had they had room for more, you know, they certainly would have pushed up probably to number two. Yeah. Had they had room for more than 20. And if you look at that class top to bottom, you know, they had – what is it, six five-stars out of 17 commitments. Uh, the number one player, I believe, in Florida, if you count IMG, of course, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Ohio, and Alabama, and Georgia. This, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and this group, more than any, as we close the book on 2018, is uh top heavy i mean this is really really top heavy there are only seven teams with multi five-star signees seven and there are four teams five five teams five of those seven uh have more than two so uh very very top heavy the the you know the real blue bloods if you will really loaded up and everybody else got left in the dust and the drop-off is at clemson you know clemson there's a clear drop-off to me when you're talking about Oklahoma, which tied them in points but had five more commitments. Yeah. And when you're talking about Florida State and Notre Dame and Auburn and LSU, there's a huge drop-off to me at that point in time. Yeah. Um, So which team in the 11 to 25 range will be in the top 10 next year without a doubt? Take a look. I know what your answer is going to be. I can predict you because you're very predictable. But – should I say your answer? If you get if you get it right, are we talking eleven to twenty five? Yeah, I'll be very interested. I'll be very interested to know if you could get it right. I have two. If you get both right, I'll give you a kiss. I don't want to, I don't want anything like that. That's unbelievably ridiculous. Um, this has turned into a very creepy segment now. I know, I know one of them is LSU. I know it. Yes, LSU is one of them. There's one. So, so the other one's the tricky one, and, and I'll, I'll guess. Well, I'll well guess it's not that hard because there's a lot of teams in here that you know aren't going to be in the top ten next year. 
Well, no, it's it's not that easy. I I personally think you know a team like Auburn is is going to be in the top ten next year, but that's just me. Yeah. But your other choice, uh, okay. Your other choice is Texas A&M. No, nope. my other choice is Michigan. Um, Ooh, you're crazy. Ar- you're nuts. Already have a five-star committed. Yeah, which they might lose. Which they might lose. Um, but, I, but, you know, two top four finishes and a 24, I think Harbaugh has woken up a little bit. And he is, deserves a ton of criticism, and I think he's going to get it on this podcast. Um, but this was a, a uniquely bad year for them. I think Shea Patterson coming back makes them a playoff contender. Uh, I think he's going to recruit his. I think he's going to recruit really well, and I think they're going to be a top ten team. I'm not saying top five. I don't think they win the team recruiting title, but I think they certainly emerge better than 24 with only a 3.3 star rating, which is a joke for Michigan. Yeah, well, top ten is a big move up. And here's the thing, you know, I originally when Harbaugh was hired, I said he'd never won a national championship. Then he put together two 10-win seasons with just horrible quarterbacks. And I'm like, okay, once he gets a real quarterback, he's going to win a national championship. Now they got Shea Patterson coming in. We'll see if he develops him. But the way this last season went, I I was just – I was not impressed. Um, He still hasn't developed a good quarterback. I know he doesn't have a whole lot to choose from. But, um, you know, he was dealing with some of his own guys now. Uh, Recruiting is down. Uh, Ohio State's getting better. Penn State's getting better. Michigan State's back, although we'll see what happens to them with the whole scandal. I mean, they can get just absolutely hammered. But And they're in the hardest division, I think, in college football. So for Michigan to win a national championship, which is what it's going to take for them to get back up into that upper echelon top four recruiting-wise, um, it's not going to happen next year. That's pretty clear to me. Maybe because they are – fairly young in a couple of years they could they could compete for a national championship but what if they continue this way i mean i was just looking at it they finished what third third and fourth in their own division yeah well, there's absolutely That's no awful. doubt about it um you know i you think know who Pitt... else has done that like probably nc state yeah you know I, I mean you could just throw out very mediocre average football teams who have probably done the same thing that nobody cares about yeah and, and... georgia tech there's another one. And third They've in the in the Big it. Ten East or whatever they call it now is uh, is uh, is not great, but it is behind Ohio State and Penn State. But nobody at Michigan wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that it's the toughest division in all of college football. Um, Penn State has excelled in the face of Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State has dominated in the face of Jim Harbaugh in recruiting and on the field. Um, you know, and and Michigan has been very lackluster. You watch Michigan on a Saturday. They are not even close to sniffing a college football playoff. They can't even come close to winning their own division, uh, let alone the conference, let alone beating Wisconsin uh, in a conference championship, let alone going and playing against the Alabamas and Clemsons and Georgias of the world. No chance. They're not even close. Now, does Shea Patterson make that offense more dynamic? Absolutely. But this is going to be up to Harbaugh and Tim Drevno and that staff to not think it's 1974 anymore. And have a guy holding, you know, your cord for your headset like you're some old school football coach. Times have changed, and Harbaugh hasn't been changing with them, uh, and it's been reflective on the field. You, you know, they won by the skin of their teeth against Indiana last year. That's the kind of team, the level that they're playing at now. 
And now they're bringing in a recruiting class that's maybe a fringe top 25 group. So, um, you know, they're big, strong guys. They're, that, that's fine. Uh, they put a lot of guys to the NFL Combine. That's fine. We'll see where they get drafted and how they play once they get there. Uh, but this is not, you know, a high-level – this is not a high-level Big Ten team. If you take Michigan and put them in different uniforms, like you said, we're looking at an NC State football team, except NC State has a guy that's going to go top three, top four, and Bradley Chubb, and Michigan doesn't. And, um, you know, Michigan, NC State, I looked them up. They finished fourth, fourth, and second um, in – the ACC Atlantic, you know, and again, that's that's a division that's not as strong as uh, the Big Ten East, but you've got, you know, certainly Florida State, Louisville, and and uh, Clemson in there. It's not a horrible uh, division. I was I was trying to make a, a better point with the SEC. I was actually going to try to say that Texas A&M has done equally as well as Michigan, but that's not true. They finished fifth this past year, and <laughs> the year before that, they were fourth. So then I'm like, okay, 2015, they must have finished top three, and then they finished fifth. And so my Texas A&M thing wasn't really But But, Mike, like well. you said, the 2018, I just looked at the schedule. They start at Notre Dame. They go to Michigan State. They have Wisconsin at home. They play Penn State. They go to Ohio State. So next year is not a cakewalk by any means. The schedule is not very favorable for Michigan even next season. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it gets obviously, no, you're right. I mean, it, I mean, they're lucky they've got, you know, the Maryland's and Rutgers and Indiana's of the world, <laughs> you know, in there. Um, but looking at it, yeah, Notre Dame is going to be difficult. Then the Western Michigan and SMU, I mean, they should win those games. Nebraska, they should win that. At Northwestern won't be a cakewalk, and then Maryland. But then you got Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State. That's going to be the stretch there. Yeah. Uh, you know where they could lose all three of those football games, and, and then you got Ohio State at the end. So I don't know. I just keep changing my mind on Harbaugh. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know the recruiting clearly isn't that good. They lost their best player on signing day to Georgia uh, in, in a flip. They you know remember last year they 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 closed with Aubrey Solomon. You know, the go-karts and all that other yep. garbage. And, um, you know, when, when you look at the finish last year, uh, they got, you know, Nico Collins from Alabama uh, late. They were doing a much better job in the southeast, you know, especially in Florida with Jordan Anthony and Cesar Ruiz at IMG. They, I don't think they had nearly, you know, the success uh at IMG, obviously, this year, and then they practice there for that particular reason. So they just don't seem to be the hot team that anybody's talking about right now, and uh, they definitely are one of the losers. I think LSU was a loser this year as well. I think they closed poorly. Um, there's no way LSU should ever be outside the top ten with the home state advantage that they have and so much talent there. And <clears throat> they finished 13th, you know, just ahead of Washington, which – you don't want to talk about polar opposites. Washington has no players in their home state. Yeah. Um, and LSU has every player. And they got one kid on signing day, which was Jamar Chase, and they whiffed on the two big defensive backs. And it's just there's talent in here, but nothing that tells me that LSU is going to make a difference in the SEC West. No. Uh, they're still, you know, the third-best team in the SEC West, I think, and that's where they probably stay in, in terms of head coach probably fourth um and you know losing Devonte jason 
they still got three of the top five kids in the state, but like you said, Patrick Sertain was the big fish that they had for a very long time, and then Alabama just can come in there and take whoever they want, and so that's what they did. Um, and so, you know, where does LSU go with Ed Orgeron? He, he's known as a great recruiter, and, you know, the number 12 class in the country or whatever isn't exactly lighting the world on fire. So when you get a job and you're immediately questioned and everyone has you on the hot seat immediately, it's very difficult, and he didn't do himself any favors on signing day. I think the teams that sucked the most on the football field that did the best job were North Carolina and Baylor. North Carolina was abysmal last year. They finished 23rd in recruiting, which is actually not so bad, um, and they've got a couple – impact guys there. They got William Barnes out of Florida. They, they kept Jordan Adams in state. Uh, they did well with, with De'Ami Brown and Devin Lawrence in state as well. Um, quarterback out of Kansas, Jace Reuter could be a good one. Uh, and then Baylor, you know, 1-11 last year. Uh, finished 32. Um, and, and again, they just have no business landing these guys. And they thought they were going to get Tommy Bush and, and finish it off. But they've got, you know, four four stars and a ton of three stars in that class. And those two teams were just awful for different reasons. I mean, Baylor was just bad. Um, North Carolina had a lot of injuries. But when you look at on-field, those two teams surprised me. Uh, Old Miss surprised me as well with all the sanctions. Yeah, and speaking of sucking on the field, I think Florida State getting to 10 was really a, a good job by Willie Taggart and his staff because they, they needed Louisiana Monroe to go to a bowl game or whatever. And then Jimbo, like you said, was completely mailing it in through his Christmas tree on his front porch or on his front lawn and left town. And, and they were left left to die. I mean, he had to come in and uh, really revamp that whole thing. I think I actually think Chip Kelly uh, did a nice job closing. Um, what he did was pretty amazing. I had heard that he came in and looked at film on every single recruit, all the committed kids, and they, he dumped 12 of them. So... Uh, he he really started from scratch, and uh, you know that could be a credit to him, or that could be a sign of his complete and maniacal being hands-on about every single thing. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I think they actually finished with a pretty solid class for what uh, for what he did and came in and did. Nebraska didn't necessarily have a great season. I thought Scott Frost really injected some life into that recruiting class. Um, you know, North and, and then North Carolina was a team that was so abysmal last year and for, for no really good reason, um, but they closed strong with a better class than Michigan and Michigan State. So, um, you know, credit to Larry Fedora for turning that thing around and getting William Barnes and kind of closing a little strong there. Stanford really struggled. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, their best recruit is going to take a two-year mission they only had a couple other, uh, like three other four-star kids. Average star ranking was awful. Same amount of commitments as 2017, but dropped a ton in the team rankings. And, and when you look at 2017, at the top of their list, you know, Foster Sorrell, Walker Little, Davis Mills, there's three five-stars. Colby Parkinson, the best tight end in the country. Um, you know, Connor Weddington, Osiris St. Brown, just really really strong class last year with 14 kids you expect a small class from them this year not good at all yeah being sandwiched in between wake forest and syracuse is never where you want to be in the team recruiting rankings uh that's where they find themselves and 
What surprised me too about this Stanford class is uh, I think it was expected to be small, but like you said, another one had was small, but they loaded up with top end talent. And then very, very few uh, West Coast players, uh, only three in the entire class, two from Southern California and one from Arizona, um, you know, who's kind of a mix of a, a kind of an athlete kind of type that will probably have to come in and maybe redshirt and then see where he stands in a year or so. But like you said, the top player in the class, Tanner McKee, is not going to be there for two years. So you take him out, and I believe that there are only three other five, uh, four stars in the entire class. So... Uh, not a great job by David Shaw and this staff, and and there's no reason for it really. Uh, you know, kids will go to Stanford. Um, there's no there's no problem getting kids there. It's really just getting kids want to go there. It's just getting them admitted is the is the real problem. And I and you know that uh, has not been an issue in years past when elite players have really shown interest in them. So uh, not a great job, and and really no reason for such a for such a slide here. Yeah, and the one team in the rankings where it doesn't matter where they finish is Wisconsin. They finished 39th in the rankings, 3.05 star rating. Only one four-star in the entire class, and it won't matter because they will continue to recruit large offensive linemen, really good running backs. They only took one offensive lineman this year, so next year they're going to absolutely load up uh, game-managing quarterbacks and overachievers on defense and continue to push to win the, the West um, I, I just don't think it matters where Wisconsin ranks. Yeah, no, it's almost kind of like the lower, they don't care if they're lower because th- that makes them more ticked off about it and they'll be mean. And Michael Furtney is a 6'5", 265-pound offensive lineman. In a year or two, he'll be 6'7", 300 pounds and have a neck like a friggin' uh, Sylvester Stallone on Over the Top, the arm wrestling movie from the 80s, greatest yeah. movie ever. He had a classic big, movie, he had a big, yeah. Big neck, he had a big neck. Big, big neck, big neck. And and so, yeah, I love, you know, it doesn't really matter. And we should look at Wisconsin's class and bump them up all in ranking because they're going to be coached so well. They're going to go there, be no nonsense, and they're going to probably compete for the West for years to come. The other teams like that are TCU. Um, and, and I would also say... Michigan State, but I don't know what's going to happen with this sanctions and all that. They had the one bad year, but they always coach their kids up. But it reminds me of West Virginia and Virginia Tech in the, you know, 2000s. They would just always finish outside the top 25, and they would always win 10 games and go off to some big bowl game and then beat somebody in a big bowl game, and that's kind of where we're at with Wisconsin. So I don't know. That's that's a good wrap on 2018. We can talk about Dan Mellon's comments if you want. They were stupid, but I don't care. Um, you know, certainly you could say the whole, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut about Georgia. That means you're worried about Georgia. You're worried about their recruiting. Um, you can't come into this job scared. And that comment to me said you're scared. Yeah, I think it. I think more than anything, it, it said that he's aware of of the situation, and he was trying to stem it in front of a bunch of boosters and alumni who are also very nervous about what's going on. And the Jim McElwain era is over, and the Will Muschamp era is over, and he's going to start putting points on the board and not trying to win games seventeen fourteen anymore. So it'll be interesting to see. I think you know, did he need to say it? No. Did did he need to address Georgia? No. But Everyone knows, you know, the elephant in the room in the SEC East is Georgia. 
they're recruiting off the charts. They have one of the best classes in Rivals history. And, uh, you know, Florida had some momentum going in, but it wasn't a really strong finish. So Dan Mullen is going to have to X's and O's his way to some wins here. Um, but, but if you look at the teams and you look at where they stand right now, uh, is Jake Fromm losing to the quarterback that Florida throws out there next year? I find it hard to believe that that happens. Um, but I didn't think Nick Foles could beat Tom Brady either, so I'm always wrong about everything. Well, if you if you are defensive about your recruiting rankings, yeah, and you pretend like you don't care about your recruiting rankings, that means it's all you care about. I mean, Will Muschamp did the same thing in his first transition season. It was like we we don't care about um, we don't care about you know the recruiting rankings. They mean nothing. Blah 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 blah. And you know, because he was criticized, he didn't really close that well in his transition year. Um, and then what? Three years later, he's gone. So. You know, coaches love to say they don't care about these rankings. Uh, when they finish very well, they obviously crow about them and use them in every tweet or piece of literature they send to recruits. And when they don't finish well, they say recruiting rankings mean nothing. But we all know they mean quite a bit, especially when you look at Alabama winning, you know, so many recruiting titles and winning, what, five national championships under Nick Saban? Yep. Um, it kind of correlates. It goes all the way back to 2002 when our first recruiting rankings ever was Texas finishing first, and they won a national championship. You go to 2003, and it was LSU, and they won a national championship, and then you started going into the USC dominance, and then the Florida dominance, and then the Alabama dominance, and obviously multiple national championships for all those programs. So, you know, you can say what you want, but recruiting rankings matter. So if you're not at the top, no. your team is going to continue to struggle. Uh, Georgia will win a national championship over the next two, three years, I think. Um, you know, and, and I, I stand by that. I mean, I just think the history says that that's what's going to happen. No, you can't say what you want. There are literally scientific studies done that if you don't have a top 10 recruiting class, you're not going to win a national championship in four years. It's a decades-long study. If you say what you want, you're going to sound like an idiot because if you don't have those top recruiting classes – you're virtually guaranteed not to win a national championship. So you're, you're more than welcome to say it, but you're going to sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, Florida State, obviously, them winning, they, they were always in the top ten uh, in recruiting. Usually uh, prior to that, I believe they were in the top three most of the years leading up to that. Um, and, and, you know, you can have top ten recruiting classes and still stink. I mean, Florida State had top ten recruiting classes and regressed greatly under um, – Bobby Bowden, but Auburn, when they won their national championship, their recruiting was always around eight, seven. Uh, they never finished really, they never finished number one, but they never finished lower than like seven or eight. Um, so they were always in the top 10 as well. And then of course, you know, Alabama winning uh, so many Clemson's recruiting. We see what has happened with them and why they have won a national championship. So when you look at this, uh, it's good news for Georgia. Um, Ohio State's always going to be a national title contender. USC, I don't know if they will be or won't. It depends on the coaching. I mean, a lot of people don't think Clay Helton is the coach to take them to the next level. Uh, you know, the talent development there has been under question. Uh, I think Texas will probably get in the playoff over the next few years if he continues to recruit like this. Penn State's just unfortunately in that division uh, where they're going to finish behind Ohio State every year. Even even though Gorney loves Penn State, <laughs> I respect Nothing Penn State, but that. they they do have. Of course, a, they uh, did finish ahead of Ohio State one year, but they 
Screw it. Yeah, as long as Urban Meyer's there. If he didn't take the Colts job now, he's never leaving. So, And Dabo called him old, so now he's really ticked off about that. So he's going to go into high gear and no more time at the lake house for him. So let's talk uh, recruiting battles for 2019. I think it's going to be very interesting in Texas between you know the Longhorns, the Aggies, and, and the Sooners. That's going to be an area I'm going to be looking at. Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, the three juggernauts in the southeast, I, I'm sure they're going to run into each other <clears throat> and have a, a, a quite a bit of a head-to-head matchups there, especially Georgia and Alabama with Smart versus Saban emerging as one of the best head coach versus head coach battles. And, and USC and UCLA will be interesting to see if Chip can get, get it done. Obviously, you know, you, you have to say Ohio State and, 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 and Michigan. I just think there's such a difference right now. Uh, there wasn't a year ago, you know, when, when Michigan finished uh, fourth and Ohio State, I think, was second. Um, that would be one of them. But this year, guess who finished second? Ohio State. Yeah. And guess who finished far from fourth was Michigan. So I don't think they're as high on my list as head-to-head uh, combatants. Am I anybody I'm missing? I, no, I don't think so. I think those are the big ones. That, I'm really interested to see how A&M comes in. And if Oklahoma can hang on in the state of Texas or if Tom Herman starts cleaning up like he did in 2018, uh, I believe signed five of the top six players in the state. Uh, first time in a very, very long time that Texas has done that. And that's coming off of not a great season, average season at best. Um, but 2019 in Texas is absolutely loaded at the top of those two wide receivers. It'll be interesting to see where they end up. Um, the state is very, very good throughout. Um, and so right now only two of the top 10 players are committed anywhere. So Texas A&M and Oklahoma does have a little bit of a lead, do have a little bit of a lead, um, early on, but something tells me Texas will be just fine through the spring and in the summer out here in California. It's very weird. Sometimes, you know, you usually find kids committing a little bit early and then flipping commitments or whatever else. But now with JT Daniels out of the class, uh, there are only two players in the top 50 who are committed. Uh, Colby Bowman to Stanford and Cameron Davis to Washington. Other than that, nobody's committed. Uh, there are some decommitments already. Chris Steele decommitted from UCLA. Uh, some others down the line that I'm obviously forgetting. Um, but this is very, very fresh. Uh, a lot of the 2019 kids seem to be taking their time. I think they're taking their time to take official visits in April uh, to kind of get a better feel for things and then make their decisions uh, you know, over the summer and into their early season. But um, I think it's going to be very interesting out here uh, because, again, you're going to have Kayvon Thibodeau, who has some connections to LSU and the SEC, very intrigued by it. Chris Steele is playing on a 7-on-7 team in Texas. He just visited Texas A&M, so he goes out there often to see what's going on. Um, and, and then you're going to have your USC types. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But more and more, as I get a feel for this, a lot of kids, even in 2017, Najee Harris, 2018, with a bunch of kids are looking to go either to USC or out of state. And so that's something the Pac-12 schools are going to have to uh, slow down or stop if they're going to be nationally competitive. All right, I'm going to play a little game with you. Ready? Oh, boy. It's about the NFL. Yes. And it's called Are You Surprised? <laughs> And here's the first one. This one's a this one's a softball. I don't know. Did you watch the uh, Pebble Beach tournament at all? Golf? No, I was at a seven on seven tournament, Mike. Remember those? 
How could you how could you miss the the replay of the Pebble Beach? <laughs> Did you see Larry Fitzgerald and how good a golfer he is? No, I didn't have any. You're time. moving to. You're moving to a freaking golf course. I know that. That's when I'm gonna take it up. I'm gonna stop going to camps. Stop going to seven on sevens. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the uh, the Josh Hemholt special. I'm gonna go to the golf course on Saturday, play 36, and then head down to the to his downstairs basement and watch golf all day. <laughs> you could just leave your new house, <laughs> and and you're on the fairway of what what hole? Do you know? I, I'm not on the fairway. I'm on the. It's almost like the tee box of the sixth hole. Oh, that's perfect. So I mean, you, you should be taking up. Larry Fitzgerald looked amazing golfing. I mean, amazing. He's got another career after football. So I guess you weren't surprised at how good he was because you don't care about that. No, I don't care. I was watching NASCAR Our, qualifying at Daytona. Ugh. So you're watching cars go in a circle, and I'm watching guys try to put a little ball in a hole. So that's good. <laughs> Are you surprised Reuben Foster's been arrested twice within his first year of the NFL? Unfortunately, I'm not surprised, and here's why. Because when you go to the Combine and you fight with the hospital staff, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a sign that you're, you know, when left alone, you know, you're going to be left to your own devices and something's going to happen. Now, I have no idea what the situation is that he was... Uh, you know, why he was arrested. I have no idea about the details. I have no idea if he's guilty, but I'm, I can't say I'm certain, you know, overly surprised by it. Nick Saban came out in support of him during all the combine stuff. And it was almost like he protested too much about how great of a person Reuben Foster was. And that's always a sign that there are issues there. So no, you know, when you're, you're, you're you get kicked out of the combine for yelling and fighting with hospital staff on the on the two days that you have to just behave yourself, uh, you know, that's a red flag. Charges related to domestic violence, threats, and possession of an assault weapon. Yeah, that's he had an, ass- I guess he had an assault rifle or something. Something like that. That's, that's always that's good. Not good. That's not good. So, uh, and then are you surprised Johnny Manziel's bipolar? <laughs> this is, are you surprised? I mean, come on. Based on his actions, I'm surprised he wasn't diagnosed sooner. I don't know if a legit doctor has diagnosed him with bipolar disorder. It's a very serious thing. Um, but it's also something very serious for if he wants to return to football. Um, you know, that's something that has to be, I think, medically handled. Um, his actions over the years certainly don't... So it doesn't surprise me that something is wrong with him mentally. Does it surprise you? No, and he was diagnosed, he said, about a year ago, and he was self-medicating with the drinking. Um, you know, we've dealt with this before. Vince Young, I believe, was uh, suicidal at, at one point in his, uh, whether he was retired or not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these are, the, these are the stories you get out of the NFL now. You know, Larry Fitzgerald is a happy story, obviously, because he's a very good golfer, and being a good golfer is all that matters. Um, but... You know, Reuben Foster getting arrested, Johnny Manziel bipolar. I mean, this is these, these are the news stories. What about the so story of Tom Brady you, kissing Giselle during sunset overlooking the ocean in Costa Rica? That was a nice story. I didn't, I didn't see that story. I saw Lane Lane Johnson blasting the Patriots for being a fear-based football team or some <laughs> garbage like that, and the NFL trying to figure out what a catch is, which they still haven't been able to figure out, but. When you look at the NCAA, I mean, there's just absolutely nothing to talk about 
football wise. No. I mean, you know, Brent Venables is set to earn over two million dollars as a coach, and he's very deserving. And everybody thinks he's going to be the next coach at Kansas State when Bill Snyder steps down, and that would probably be a good fit for him. But um, most of the exciting stuff seems to be in the NFL with arrests and uh, psychological uh, diagnosis. So I guess you don't have a are you surprised game for me. Are you surprised that uh, that the Redskins signed Alex Smith and are making Kirk is making Kirk Cousins' life a living hell? Um, I'll be surprised if he doesn't end up in Arizona. How about that? Are you surprised that the new SB Nation mock draft has Sam Darnold going one and and Josh Rosen going two? No, because I think uh, I, I do believe there is a fear of Josh Rosen from some general managers, and I, I think Josh Rosen could actually drop, you know, to the five-six spot just because nobody really believes that he's, you know, a guy that you can manage and coach. Um, I believe it's it's not just their draft, but um, Todd McShay has Darnold number one and Josh Rosen number two. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, number five, Josh Allen, number six. So that's four of the top picks being quarterbacks. So that'll be interesting if that happens. It's not a very strong draft at certain positions. So, so we'll see. No, I'm, I'm not surprised by that, though. I think people are going to be afraid of Josh Rosen, and I think they're going to make a mistake. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how everything is handled. I, I think he goes to the Combine Sort of in a no-win situation. If he answers questions honestly, he's a jerk. If he doesn't answer, if he gives uh, the political answer, he's dodging questions. So I think, you know, smart GMs, and those are not the ones picking number one. Let's just be honest. The Cleveland Browns will probably make the biggest mistake and not pick Josh Rosen. But Rosen can go there and pull an Eli Manning and be like, look, I don't want to go play for your team. Uh, That, I think, would be a mistake because the Browns actually have some skill players. Oh no, they're horrible. on on defense, and so yeah, but not on offense. No, not on Rosen offense. Should, so he should say no. He should say. No. And if he says no, he's the biggest jerk in football, and you know, then he'll go somewhere else and be fine. But Eli Manning did it, and he, he you know, people weren't that upset at Eli. Manning, I know, but the they? narrative is Josh Rosen's a big jerk, and right, and Eli Manning's the nicest guy ever because he's a man. Yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland made a, a complete mistake and took Sam Darnold number one. Uh, you know, Josh Rosen will go play somewhere and be super competitive. I don't know why his competitiveness is, is called into question. Um, you know, I do think his injuries are a little bit of a concern. He had a concussion issue. He had a shoulder issue. Um, you know, those things are a concern. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't get it. And I think the guy that people are missing on, and every year I pick a defensive tackle that should be drafted higher, is Deron Payne this year. Um, you know, but again, the reason is he's not a guy that gets a lot of sacks, but he is so disruptive. I think he's potentially a top ten pick. Um, but he's behind Mo Hurst. He's behind some other, and Mo Hurst is very disruptive as well. But uh, he's behind Vita Vea in a lot of these mocks. Um, it just makes no sense to me. Deron Payne's the best defensive tackle, I think, in the country. Um, he's proven that, and I think he should be a top 10 pick, but he's not going to be. And Mike McGlinchley is is in everybody's mock first round, and I, I don't understand it. I was a big fan of his out of high school. I didn't rank him high enough. I was a big fan of his up until this past season, but I saw way too many 
flaws in his game, and I didn't see an improvement like Quentin Nelson. So I'm not sure why he's in the first round. I think he's going to be a bit of a turnstile in the NFL. Yeah, I think the speed to the edge is going to be a problem. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes at the combine and how that all plays out. But um, are you surprised that uh, Vita Vea is getting so much hype? And I've seen him play, and I'm not entirely sold. He's supposed to be a freak athlete, though. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Are you surprised that I couldn't name one of the new additions to the Cleveland Cavaliers roster? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised. Could anybody else? I, Jordan, I mean, who are, uh, who are oh, these man. guys? Larry Nance Jr., <laughs> yes, you baby. Don't even know Come on. Yeah, Larry Nance. Nance. Yeah. Well, Larry, the only reason I know Larry Nance Jr. is because his dad won the dunk contest 30 years ago. Look, if, if you want NBA news, bring Woody Womack on. He spends about, you know, eight hours of his work day uh, watching NBA highlight clips. So he knows all about it, and he knows all about the, uh, the Cleveland Cavs. I get into the NBA. I used to love the NBA, and I used to love college basketball before the one-and-done rule basically ruined the entire sport, and now it's unwatchable. Um, because every year a new team, it's five new guys on the floor. Um, and I used to love UConn basketball too, but now they're terrible. And, uh, I used to watch the NBA all the time. And then I realized it doesn't matter because basically the entire division gets into the playoffs anyway. And there's two good teams in the whole league. So it's pointless to watch until the playoffs and not even the playoffs anymore, the friggin' finals. I don't know. I just, I, I just saw they just rolled over the Celtics and I'm looking at some of these guys <laughs> and I've, I've never heard of any of them like Seti Osman who's Seti Osman Donny Osman you know Seti Osman yeah exactly and then George Hill I guess I should remember George Hill because he was a first rounder in what two, 2008 10 years ago he was a first rounder um but I don't know George Hill uh, I don't know any of these guys. I mean, it's it's just awful. So, hey, I've got um, a I've got a. Are you surprised for you? And this is something I meant to put on our on our rundown, but I didn't. Are you surprised? Yeah. Getting back to football, and then we should probably get out of here. But <laughs> are you surprised that California lawmakers are trying to ban youth football until high school age? Tackling in youth football. Tack. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Tackle football. No. It's all soft out there. It's soft. <laughs> hey, they're talking about it in like New York and it, nah, New York and never happened out here. No, it never happened out here. I don't think it's going to happen. It'll never happen was... in tough Connecticut. <laughs> no, it won't. Although the coach at Dartmouth wants no tackling. Yeah, at he all. doesn't. Pra- he doesn't tackle in practice. There's a real sports with Brian Gumble about this, and I will say this and call me soft. Whatever. I'm from Northeast Pennsylvania, coal country. I'm the toughest guy on this podcast, except for Mike and Dave. Oh God! Um, if you're teaching tackling to kids and you're teaching it the wrong way, where you're leading with your head, it's it's bad news. It's not smart to do. So unless you can regulate who is coaching these these youth teams, and believe me, these people are hardly football technicians. Uh, you're teaching kids the wrong way, and as their brains develop, you're you're putting CTE into their brains that young. Um, I'm not so sure high school, it should be banned until high school, but if you're having six and seven-year-olds hitting heads and tackling like that, it's very, very bad news. So I think for the sport long-term, it's actually a good idea. 
But do do we need do we need government making laws? For oh, here we go, Don, uh, Donald Trump over here. <laughs> oh boy, I, but I mean, can we just leave it up to the parents and let them have some freedoms? No, you we know, can't. Like, yeah. No, we can't. Yes, we just, you can. Parents are too let stupid. The, <laughs> yes. Oh my God, let the let the parents let their kids play football if they want to play football. The reason they're all tackling it like that is because that's what they see in the NFL. That's what kids see when they're watching with their dad and they're seven years old and they see some idiot NFL guy lead with his head. Uh, you're not going to change that. You can teach them straight-up tackling technique, uh, but they're all going to want to headhunt because that's what they see their heroes doing. And it's not going to change. But honestly, what are you going to do? I compare, this to, I compare this to putting your kid into gymnastics, not on day one or in year one or year five. Are they tumbling and, and flipping and doing anything without any controls or restraints. You teach the game methodically. You don't teach them, you don't put on a helmet and shoulder pads the day one and start hitting people. It's stupid, and I, I don't necessarily support the law because I don't think government should be involved in youth activities, um, but I do understand where they're coming from. It, when you put your girl into you know youth gymnastics, she's not tumbling, she's tumbling into like, foam block she's not tumbling onto a floor or going up onto the rings on day one so uh i understand where they're coming from but i i think that this should be something that youth football coaches look at more than government should should say what we do all right well why i'll tell we you get, what i'll tell you what i'm surprised did, i'm surprised that we're talking about gymnastics that you just compare <laughs> well, gymnastics to yeah. football <laughs> see i ju- i just completely got a feeling that um that gorney was a tumbler as a child. Oh, God. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind. He wanted to be a gymnast, but he's five foot four. He's built like a fire plug, and it just wasn't. I, I wouldn't exactly say the, that's true, Mike. I don't know. I've been hitting it's, the slim fast. I just, <laughs> I just don't think it was. He couldn't get up on the pommel horse because it was too tall for I him, just need so slim fast. to give up gymnastics. Gymnastics. What you need to do is go out and go. You need to walk 18 holes. That's what you need to do. I have no time. I'm standing at a seven on seven. All day long. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a great game I came up with, I thought. All right. Yeah, that was was a good one. I think we should (laughs) do that on a regular basis. No one's going to listen. Nobody's going to care. But still, it doesn't matter. All right. right. Well, the music is playing. That means we got to get out of here. But we'll. Uh, be back next week with another edition of The Godfather and Gorney. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Adam Gorney, at uh, Rivals Mike, and at Real Dave Barry. We will see you guys again next week.